This episode of Kidlit These Days is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. You want great new Kidlit books to read, but maybe you're overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for, and then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you could treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Kidlet These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlet These Days, we are your Kidlet connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents and grandparents and teachers and librarians and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We're recording on August 30th, 2020, and today's episode is all about Own Voices Kidlit Comics. Nicole, how are you? I'm doing all right, Matthew. Um, we were talking a little bit before um, about Chadwick Boseman, so I, I'm a little sad this weekend, um, but I am all right. How about you? How are you? Yeah, it's sort of apropos that we're talking about comics, isn't it? And it that, is! Um, and that... W- and that we lost Chadwick uh, of of Black Panther fame, um, among many other things. But I think certainly Kidlet readers uh, know him for that role. And many, many children, uh, many black and brown children saw themselves for the first time in that portrayal. Yeah, I know I did. I'm, you know, a grown up. And that was the first time I'd ever seen myself reflected that way in um, a kind of a comic um, a superhero setting. So yeah, I think it is really appropriate that we're talking about this. Um, what I shared with you before is that for me, um, his role, particularly in Black Panther, was like this way to imagine um, a different future, a different reality, a different um, possi- different set of possibilities for Black people um, through that comic. And I think one of the things that hopefully we'll explore today is how own voices, comics can also play that role, right? Can help young black and brown children, um, children who live in other, or who are part of other marginalized identities, like see themselves um, quite literally in a different way in the literature that they're reading. So yeah, I, um, I'm deeply affected by his death and yeah. Well, Nicole, you know that I live and breathe and write comics. And I think that, um, as a kid that grew up reading reading floppy comics, reading superhero comics, mm-hmm. um, and now as a person that, that stands behind and promotes not just comics but comic readers, I think that um, I think that there's a lot going on in comics for us to talk about, for us to be aware of. I'm glad that we get to spend time today talking about that um, and hopefully inspire 
the next wave of comic writers who will be writing themselves and their stories and their truths and their experiences into comics. Yes, and, and their It's a really great thing. Yes. No I mean. doubt. <laughs> I would love no that. No doubt. Did you know, by the way, um, among many other things going on, that as of this episode going live, it's Podcast Appreciation Month? No. <laughs> Fun fact. And I know this because a lot of um, podcasts will share around this time to, you know, share some love, to uh, put reviews on on um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you, you get podcasts, to share other podcasts that you love, to connect that way. You know, we on Killit these days uh, often bring up other podcasts that we listen to. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're doing that all the time. But... Podcasts really do tend to find new listeners by recommendation, by people talking about what they like and connecting with other people, not unlike how books travel around, too. I thought that it was fun that it's Podcast Appreciation Month, and, you know, I'm really grateful for all the people that have found and appreciate this podcast, yes. and quite frankly, I'm, I'm really grateful to make this podcast with you, Nicole. I love this time. Um, every every two weeks when we have this moment, this time together, it really is special. And I love Killit these days. And I hope the folks who are listening, I hope that we are bringing something um, that is important or special to your life because we love sharing it with you. Yeah. Uh, we would love to ask you to share it with others. That that can be yes. sharing a review. That can be, you know, emailing us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. It can be sharing with a friend over social media. You don't even need to tell us, but... When you do tell us, when we get a chance to thank you and connect with you, that's also a really good thing. We make this for you, and we make this for readers, and so it's it's we appreciate you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Nicole, would you mind uh, actually sharing our next sponsor, which is a comic? It is. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by the Tea Dragon Tapestry by Katie O'Neill and Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group. Join Greta and Manette once more for the heartwarming conclusion of Katie O'Neill's award-winning Tea Dragon series. Over a year since being entrusted with Ginseng's care, Greta still can't chase away the cloud of mourning that hangs over the timid Tea Dragon. Meanwhile, Manette receives a surprise package from the monastery where she was once training to be a prophetess. Told with the same care and charm as the previous installments of the Tea Dragon series, the Tea Dragon Tapestry welcomes old friends and new into a heartfelt story of purpose, love, and growth. Thanks for sharing that. The Tea Dragon books are wonderful. Katie O'Neill makes beautiful comics, and um, we actually we have a, a graphic novel award in our state, in Maryland, the Black Eyed Susan Award. And oh, in the graphic name. novel category, there you go, well, it's our state flower. Um, in our, um, graphic novel award nominees, I think two years ago, maybe, um, the, the first book in the T-Dragon Society, uh, it's just called the T-Dragon Society, um, was one of the 10 nominees and all of our students across Maryland read these books and then they vote on their favorite. And part of the reason why that's also on my mind is because <laughs> as you know, Nicole, I'm preparing to go back to school. Mm-hmm. We are back to school with staff. My wife and I are both um, in our separate areas doing that back to school training. And I'm, I'm as of recording this, rec- uh, going to be meeting my students on Wednesday uh, virtually, which will be really exciting. And part of what I'll be doing is introducing these new uh, graphic novel and picture book and chapter book nominees 
and encouraging them to be reading and thinking about <laughs> access in this time of quarantine. Uh, but but it, it's we're in this phase once again where I'm really, really thinking of my students because I'm about to see them in little boxes on my computer screen, and that gives me a whole lot of joy. <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm curious, Matthew, because we talked a little bit about why we're doing this episode, but for you, who you're in this world of comics, of graphic novels, like, why graphic novels? What about the form? What about the genre is, like, is important? How do you see it, especially for your students, I think, about books that I recommend to kids? Um, And there are some that I think graphic novels are perfect to communicate a particular type of idea, but I'm just curious what you, yeah, what are your thoughts? So comics are... We always want to make sure that we emphasize that comics are a format of storytelling, much like a novel in verse or in prose or a picture book or uh, a wordless book. This is a format. I think some of some folks, some uh, adults um, tend to label them as a genre and they're not. You can use the comic book format to tell any story. And in fact, the best selling comics in Kidlet are memoirs. Um, those being the books, the works of Raina Telgemeier, uh, Smile, Guts, Sisters, they're, they're all her memoir. Um, and, and so comics, I'm sort of leading in with that way of like, (laughs) they are valid Mm -hmm. because I think that we grew up, uh, potentially with a generation of adults sculpting our reading habits by how they communicated value toward comics or stories or whatever. And I um, am grateful that I had parents that sort of let me read whatever I want. And um, I fell into reading X-Men comics, the uncanny X-Men, among other things. There was also a, a cartoon series to support that. There was a lot of stuff that really got me into that world. Now, uh, working with children and their parents firsthand, I hear a lot of Um, my child only reads this thing. I really want to get them off of this thing. Or I can't get my child to read anything. When I say this thing, I I don't know why I'm keeping it from you. The two things that I'm always hearing, my child won't stop reading, dot, dot, dot. It's always um, Captain Underpants or (laughs) Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah. And those books are hybrid books. They're they're Mm -hmm. heavily illustrated novels. Now, of course, um, Dave Pilkey of Captain Underpants fame has a new series called Dogman, which is strictly comic, um, based on a a mini comic that appeared within the Captain Underpants books. The idea of getting kids, quote unquote, off of reading comics is an interesting thing for me because I stopped reading because of not finding connection in reading prose, maybe because I was too slow of a reader or there wasn't a right book or I didn't have adults in my life to sort of model a a reader identity to me. For whatever reason, I just didn't read. Uh, and so now I'm a very, very slow reader. You hear me talk all the time about listening to audiobooks because I can listen to someone read me a book faster than I can read print on page. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. I just am a, 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 I, I read every single word. I'm a slow reader and that's okay. Um, I think about how it's important for kids to read widely. I want you to read comics and translated books and books in prose and books in verse and chapter books and read all the things, read all the things. Don't get stuck reading one thing because reading all the things is going to help you 
uh, understand language and understand yeah. how we use language in different ways. Um, uh, 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 I'm really like going off on a stop me if I'm <laughs> if I'm I no, can feel I, myself. No, I feel like so the idea that people are trying to get their kids off of of comics is so fascinating to me because I particularly Diary of a Wimpy Kid was an entry point for oh, okay. one of one of my young cousins. Like he wasn't reading really and. Yep. He, but then he was really into Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And so I, every Christmas, every birthday, I was buying him the next one because it sure. was an entry point into reading for him. And I knew that if he got excited about that, there would be other ones. Similarly, my little brother was not a reader. Like, I think his story might sound very similar to yours, Matthew. And he, there was a point where he was like, you know what? I'm going to start reading the Boondocks comics. He was reading the graphic novels. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't care as long as you're reading, right? Like, I just want you to be reading. Um, and that was Yeah, like, reading is reading. Yeah, that was both of their entry points. So, yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing. To your point, I do, of course, I would love them to read a, a wealth of different things. But if this is how you're going to get reading, I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you know, my students, way back when I first started teaching, like 15 years ago, um, they would play games on a website called Pop Tropica, which I'm sure still exists. Okay. But in between Pop Tropica, they would have ads. But the ads or the breaks from the game would actually be reading chapters of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Mm-hmm. I believe before it was published by Abrams. I believe that's where it was prior to it becoming a, a print book and ultimately a series with a new release every year. Um, so to break a video game and read a comic where, you know, there's not a whole lot of text on the page, um, but you can still feel like you've accomplished something. Ah, I read 50 pages because I read, you know, all these, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think is there's something to that. I also think that, well, two things here. One, something we talk about when I present to adults about comics is that comics have a transliteracy property, which is that when you're reading comics, you're not just reading the text, but you're also reading the art, and you're also reading what happens from panel to panel sequentially, Mm -hmm. and what happens in between the panels. You're inferring what happens in the stuff that's not shown. So there's all different types of reading going on at the same time, interpreting information at the same time that you don't get in almost any other form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that becomes really important that children are developing a certain kind of literacy by reading comics. And the other thing I would say is, as a librarian, I challenge myself all the time with how can I build the collection or the layout of the collection to help children figure out where they want to go? So you've been reading Wimpy Kid a whole lot, and you're ready for something else. How can I help you figure out what is this something else? Do you want more books that are heavily illustrated, like the uh, 13-story Treehouse series or something like that? Do you want to go more into comics, like amulet series, things that are that are told over many, many books versus a standalone book? As a librarian, I'm looking at how can I make my collection layout be fluid for access. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really interests me. So the books we're going to talk about, I also want to, uh, what got me on the topic of, of Own Voices Comics in particular, is that it it occurred to me from some folks talking on Twitter that there are librarians that make collections of comics and of books where they label those collections Own Voices. 
So they are taking those books out of the main collection and putting them separate. Mm. So that's that's not okay. Mm. But I don't think it's being done uh, maliciously. But to, to be thinking about how can we be intentional about getting own voices books onto our shelves, which is something you and I have talked about in past episodes, but also how can we get intentional about the librarian and the reader's having awareness of those books so that they can exist on the shelf and be discovered on the shelf rather than having to be put on display or separate in order for them to be discovered at all. We want them to be um, having the same value of any other book that's on the shelf. Um, So that's sort of what was behind the thinking of doing this episode. That and... Um, you know, I've brought a fabulous guest on today because of a comic that I've talked about yes. on the podcast before. Should we get into the comic and I'm then talk? I'm excited to, yeah. Cool. Let's do that. So thank you, Nicole, first for, for giving me a chance to talk about what comics mean to me. They really are where I find my voice expressing itself as a writer, and they are where I find I connect the most earnestly with readers in my library. So it, it's... It's really connecting on on all sides for me as an individual. So thanks for asking about that. That means a lot to me that you would ask me. Yeah, no problem. I want to know. Well, well, I like it. Um, The guest we have on today is Paul Meyer. And Paul Meyer is one of the authors. He's a co-author of this book I've mentioned on here before called Under the Cottonwood Tree. It's a graphic novel that Paul wrote with his brother, Carlos Meyer. It's illustrated by Margaret Hardy. So here is uh, sort of the summary of the book. In It's 1949, and the sleepy little village of Algodones, New Mexico, is about to be awoken by a strange magic. An enchanted cookie transforms uh, Carlos Lucero from a boy into a black and white calf. And it's up to his older brother, Amadeo, to find a way to change him back. In the deep confines of this beautiful and majestic Rio Grande bosque, a, fa- a fable's told of a simpler time concerning the rich tricultural communities of New Mexico. And we get to join all, uh, this this great cast on an adventure of a lifetime as they unravel the many secrets of the forest and discover the true meaning of El Susto de la Corandera, the magic of the medicinal healer. Paul and I talked about what it meant to him to create an own voices comic inspired by his surroundings growing up and the rich imaginative play he shared with his brother and other siblings. So please enjoy my interview with Paul Meyer. Hi, Matthew. My name is Paul Meyer. Um, I'm a he, him, and his. And uh, I live in Los Angeles, but I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome it's a kidlet these days, Paul. I'm so glad to have you. Nicole has been hearing me talk about Under the Cottonwood Tree all the time. I'm so glad we got to do it on record. I it, Thank you so much for, for even recognizing Under the Cottonwood Tree. It's, it's a different world now. We had uh, a book tour lined up, and now in the COVID, it's not there. So for someone to pick up the book and read it and for my message to get across to someone – I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great feeling. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what inspired this story of under the cottonwood tree? There's all these wonderful supernatural threads woven into this story of family. I know that you wrote it with, with Carlos. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know that Margaret did the art on it. I'd love to know more about 
where this story comes from, though? Where did it start? Uh, sure. Thanks for asking. I, um, well, it's, as they say, based on a dream. Isn't that funny how that happens sometimes? Um, when I was 10 years old, in the backyard, we, my brother Carlos was raising calves. Um, well, let me, I guess let me just describe the setting. Um, Alameda, which is a part of Albuquerque, New Mexico, right next to the Rio Grande River. Um, we have a big backyard and we grow up right next to the cottonwood trees. So there's nine kids and nine kids, you, we couldn't have been financially the, the, the richest people in the neighborhood because nine kids, my dad had to feed nine kids. So I'm the youngest of nine kids. So grew up on, on the poorer side, but we had family and we had adventures as kids and we had creativity and, and we were always wanting to harness creativity. We'd go to the, to the Bosque is what we call the forest next to the Rio Grande. And we'd build our tree houses there. Um, uh, one year my brother decided to, um, Bill make costumes and we pantomime to a Led Zeppelin song and we went all the way to Hollywood and we performed on a gong show. Uh, a That's amazing. <laughs> if, if you're poor and you have a large family, you're going to harness creativity. That's your enjoyment. And we made comic books. We, we drew, we made a, a Chicano superhero called Caramba and Caramba would take on the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, so it goes to show you how, how we're we're just harnessing creativity. We're having fun. So one year, um, there I was taking care of uh, the calves in the backyard. So my, Carlos would raise these cattle and then take them to uh, grow, have them as, as as young calves, and then you take them off to I guess be slaughtered. I'm not sure how that. But I was a, I was a young kid, and he I was cheap labor for him is what it was. So I was running around taking care of the calves. And the calves would keep getting out all day and I have to bring them back into the corrals. So the next morning I had a dream about a talking calf. And I told that dream to my brother Carlos. And my Carl Carlos thought, wow, that's great. That sounds like a children's story. So my old eldest brother, Julio, what he did is he drew all of the images of my dream. And he and Carlos and Julio turned that into a short story children's book. And uh, it was it was our fun summer project, right? So we got that done, and then once it was done, Carlos had to try to shop it around to to um, to production house or uh, uh, publishing houses. So the only ones that would pay attention to it was out of Berkeley, and they were called Quinto Sol Press, and they were the first ones to ever publish Rodolfo Anaya's books. So we were very proud to be. In a little publication from Berkeley that uh, our, our 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 New Mexico hero was also being published by, so it was a little short story in in a collection of other short stories. So from there, the story morphed into a larger story that my brother uh, Carlos, when he was in uh, in college in Highlands University in Las Vegas, New Mexico, he turned that short story into a screenplay, and it was just his his project for, for that class. Um, years later, I graduate, I come up to Hollywood and, and I am, uh, um, pursuing entertainment as they say. So if you blinked, you would have seen me on general hospital playing a mugger, right? So <laughs> there, I was, <laughs> there I was working on these non-union, uh, movies and, and, and I kept thinking to myself, 
well, how come he's doing that? Why can't I do that too? Like, why can't I write my own stories? So I, one day, I, I guess Carlos had 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 uh, started to submit the screenplay to to producers, and and he figured, well, you're in L.A., maybe you could walk it around to producers. And I'm like, okay. So I took the story, I added to it, changed it, gave in my two cents, and um, we almost had it made into a motion picture. We had it greenlit for $3 million. Um, we had a lead actress attached, a lead director attached, um, and a studio committing half of the budget. And it was up to us to find the other half. And like all things in Hollywood, they eventually, well, not all things, but it, it eventually fell apart. We couldn't get it together. And I licked my wounds for I licked my wounds for a week, and I thought, "Oh man, that's a real bummer." We thought we was we were going to see finally see it on the big screen. So I thought to myself, "Well, why not do something? I I make it into something that I can uh, uh, um, uh, somehow." Graphic novels came to mind, and I thought, "Okay, this is something within my grasp. I can hire." people that are smarter than me, find people that are smarter than me, and which was Margaret Hardy and J.C. Crawl, super talented artists. And as a director, you want to find people that are smarter and able to get the job done, and I couldn't, without them, get it done. So I found Margaret, and that was eight years ago, I believe. Wow, it's been a long time. So we made, we, uh, I, I would, uh, um, um, basically be the director and Margaret and JC would be the cameraman, the crew, the uh, voiceover artist, the uh, um, everything involved in, in, in making a film, but it's not a film. It's, it's a, of course a graphic novel. Um, so finally we bring it to the printers and we get it done and we get all these books and we're, we have all these uh, events lined up. And then of course, the pandemic hits and it's, it's a real, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a tragedy because there are people really suffering. We're not suffering. It's just a little bit of a setback and it's a little bit of a bummer, but I'm just happy that it has, um, seen the light of day and we're, people like you are, are recognizing and saying, Hey, this is a good little story about a little, a uh, little village in New Mexico. So that's basically the, uh, the the whole round story of under the cotton tree. We've talked on Kayla these days and I've talked on social media with folks before, about how the notion that any book gets into the hands of any reader is sort of a miracle in and of itself. Because, you know, bookstores can only stock so much, or librarians can only buy whatever for their their libraries, or, uh, you know, advertising, you're on social media at just the right time to find out out about this book, or, or whatever. And so I think that we don't take for granted the power of sharing stories but but i also have to imagine that as hard as it is that that this pandemic has thrown off many many a book tour plan and book launch plan of many folks that yes that readers are still searching and that we can work to help bring those stories to them so so i'm glad that that the road brought us together paul uh and i i think that it's even cooler to know that that you've been on this road for some time and that this story, this muse has been uh, showing up in different forms from, from imaginary play and this, 
this cottonwood forest by your house to to a picture book to a screenplay to a graphic novel it doesn't surprise me that spending so much time playing in that world you would be able to help communicate such a strong sense of that world and setting in this book is is it plays a huge role in the story can you talk about why you chose to set under the cottonwood tree in new mexico absolutely um i so you want to be proud of where you're from so you need to know where you're from you need to do your research and and find out the culture so if you look at new mexico uh, the people of New Mexico, northern New Mexico and southern Colorado, they've been called many things. Um, they've been called Spanish-American. They've been called Chicano. They've been called Mexican-American, Hispanic, Indio-Hispano, Latino. And nowadays they're Latinx and Ch- Chicanx. Now, if there's an umbrella um, and th- under the umbrella are little subcultures like my fiance is from El Salvador. So her Spanish and her culture is just a little bit different. My compadre is from born in Tijuana. So he's Mexican and his Spanish is just a little bit different. So in New Mexico, I'm just trying to represent a pocket culture that exists only there. What is culture but time, space and people, right? So we've evolved little um, regional colloquialisms, let's say. There's words that translate – in our Spanish that don't translate in, in my fiance's uh, Spanish. So I just try to represent that. So I wanted to basically honor the people of northern New Mexico. My mother comes from a little town called Anton Chico. And it's just a few hundred people in this little village. You have these cute little villages all up and down uh, um, the region of, of the, either the Rio Grande or, or, or the tributaries of the Rio Grande. Um, my mother's little house was right next to the Pecos River. And um, you, you have these villages that have been for hundreds of years doing their own thing. They're, they're, they're independent because Mexico City is a thousand miles away. They're being ruled, as they say, on their own. There's, there's a quote from um, – uh, Friar Francisco Dominguez from 1776, and he says about the people of Las Trampas, which is just another village nearby, and he says, for the most part, they are ragged lot. They are as festive as they are poor, and they are very merry. They are low class, and there are very few of good or even moderately good blood. So where he's coming from is the pure sp- Spanish blood. So when he comes in 1776 and he looks at all these people that have been mixing, they're mestizos. They've been mixing with the Pueblo Indians, the Apache, the Comanche. So they are a new culture. And he's and, and but when he says those words, I'm proud of that because our people that uh, that um, uh, settled New Mexico, they were a tough lot and it took a lot to to um to 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 um harness their own uh villages um so okay let me get it back to why i want to honor the the villages so i chose a real place algodonas because it's right next to the uh rio grande river so the rio grande so i needed something that was kind of like where i grew up which is alameda and i wanted to have a sense of a small village 
independent but near a large community, which was Albuquerque. And I needed to uh, have a Native American village nearby as well. Now, I wanted to have a fantasy version of this world. Basically, a if Wizard of Oz was Kansas, well, under the cottonwood tree is to New Mexico, uh, if I said that correctly. Um, so it's mm-hmm. it's. I grew up watching um, uh, a never-ending story, and of course, loving Wizard of Oz. And and I thought, well, well, where is our Wizard of Oz? Where are our Chicano um, um, fantasy figures? And because uh, I grew up reading Rodolfo Anaya, and uh, but as a child. Well, where's the fantasy version of that? Where's the cartoon version of it, the comic book version of that? I mean, I, I in, in when I was in, in middle school, I was I was the kid um, who had the short attention span, and and I wasn't able to do that well, excel in sports, but I could always go to the library and I could find a little refuse in the library. But I wasn't even the cool kid in the library because I didn't have the 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 the, the broad attention span to to read novels, but I could read the comic books, and that. I really gravitated towards that. So there I was, the 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 the, the nerd in the in uh, the library reading the comic books, and then somehow years later it comes to I I'm creating a uh, honoring uh, people from northern Mexico and southern Colorado, and then giving and making a fantasy graphic novel. So. Amazing. I think that the way that magic and folklore and family are tied together here with with history with with generations with coming from a place and dealing with with family trauma and what that means to hold on to that trauma or find ways to free it are all beautifully handled in this book and i love that um if i can read some uh, of the book out uh would you mind if i read some would that be okay paul Sure, of course. I have it a, a midway through. There's or halfway through. There's 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 a woman in town that 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 is the woman who is um, turning these family members, specifically me- members of this one family, not just all children, but these family members into animals. And we're trying to figure out not only how to get one family member healed, but why does she keep doing this? And and she wanders into the forest and. Um, and her assistant, I don't want to give away any secrets of any of this book because I'm obsessed with experiencing this book. Anyway, mm-hmm. the the person she's with says, what are you going to do? Try to wake up the trees? <laughs> and she says, in a way, didn't mm-hmm. you know all living things strive to be something more than they already are? A little push is all they need to wake up from their dream into reality and he says yola i think you are a a bruja and she says i am not a witch i am only a simple curandera striving to be more this play on identity and where you are in this setting that you were just talking about this relationship to setting but also the relationship to your identity in that context. I'm not a witch. I'm this healer striving to be something more. Um, I thought it was a beautiful line to give her that really spoke in a way about all the characters in the story. I, I think the moments you and Carlos have placed throughout this story of 
of that sort of um, reckoning with where we are and how we are interacting with the world was something that was really interesting and drove the story really beautifully. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Which just is the best part to leave us in a conversation because it means you and I have more talking to do. Um, We've mentioned a couple of... (laughs) Uh, the other folks that that worked with you on this book, um, I'd love to know uh, if there's even a way to to parse this out. Where you and Carlos begin and end on the page, and maybe even Margaret as well. Maybe you were all writing this together, and then from there, I'd love for us to end with conversation about what it means to be trying to bring your story in front of readers in a time where there appears to be perhaps more barriers than than ever before. So tell me briefly about the team coming together specifically for this comic, and then let's talk about your outward work to connect with readers. Well, um, like I said before, if if you consider yourself a director, you're going to bring smarter people to the table. And and with Margaret, um, um, it was... Uh, it was a, a godsend because here was this girl from St. Louis. And I thought, how is she going to grasp the New Mexico culture? So we sat down. I brought some books of New Mexico. And then I had Carlos uh, sent his son, Esteban, on a mission and took photographs up and down the Rio Grande of these little adobe houses. Um, and we sat down and I said, okay, so this is an example of a front porch in New Mexico. This is a great example of the chili restaurants. And um, somehow she extrapolated a real sense of feel and, and she chose a color palette that um, complemented a New Mexican sunset, basically. And Absolutely. It's just golden. The entire book is – except when it's not, but that yeah. – that that gold really almost speaks to safety until she turns the color on yeah, us. Yeah, a little blue in there, a little be, be, genius. I, I'm just so uh, um, happy that that I found her. Um, and so the the, the rustling of, of the leaves. I actually brought a cottonwood leaf, and, and I brought it to her, and I said, "This is a a cottonwood leaf from the basket." So. Um, when it came to taking the scenes, I would direct her one way and then she would um, look in the mirror and, and she would uh, put it on a frown and then she'd draw that frown down or, or she'd smile. And so she was – it was – it's – obviously graphic novels are collaborative, right? So you have the words and the visuals. Um, but she um, – uh, did more than that because she's also doing the special effects and 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 the layers, um, just just great. So and when Carlos and I, so Carlos and I had been working on the actual story for basically forty years. It had go, just gone back and forth, changed a little bit here, and then we get feedback from from somebody, and then we like, oh, okay, we like this idea. And it was still changing until the very end. Margaret actually changed a a, um, a direct uh, or or a scene that we had that Carlos and I wrote. And she brought something to our attention that said, you know, this doesn't quite work. And I thought, wow, she's absolutely right. And we um, we uh, my fiance and I actually just worked out a little wordplay on on some Spanish and uh, and we 
we used Margaret's idea and then we used my fiance's words, Spanish words, and then we threw it in there. And so I'm not going to tell you what, what scene it was because I don't, it's, it's, it's strange how like, wow, I should have thought of this before, but it was, it, but, but I give, but it works, it works now and it's collaboration. Yeah. It's the value of that collaboration. Absolutely. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess getting to your COVID, uh, it's a different world right now. So we are, we're, we're trying to outreach to as many places as we can. Uh, last month in, in Chicago, uh, we had a little, um, um, library reading with a, a very awesome librarian out of um, uh, Homewood Library out of Chicago and uh, Miss Kelly. And so what we did is uh, we, we had a few conversations and she has something that she does every year called Cookies and Comics. So she's... Uh, Ooh, Miss Kelly, this is awesome. Yeah, it's a great idea. And she said she's been doing it for a while. I'm like, this is... When I, when I was in... And, and going to escaping in libraries, I, I didn't. That would have been a great uh, addition to my little uh, library adventure. So, what they used to be able to sit down in the library, and and Miss Kelly would pass out these these cookies, and they'd sit there and talk about about uh, the comic books that they're reading. But of course, in this time, thank goodness we have Zoom. So, uh, of course, the um, yeah. I, I believe that she got a cookie shop nearby to uh, contribute the cookies to the kids so they can go get the kids, they can bring them back to the house, and then they can all get on Zoom. And and Carlos and myself, and actually my fiance and, uh, joined us, and then my dad actually got to join us. And we're zo- I'm Zooming in Los Angeles, we're Zooming in Los Angeles, Carlos and my dad are Zooming in Albuquerque, and then uh, Miss Kelly and the kids and then there are separate houses somewhere in uh, South Side of Chicago, and it was just a wonderful time. It was great. We just we got to chit chat and, and and have our our cookies and comics. And I, I'm I'm trying to do more outreach like that because I yes. fingers crossed uh, that there'll be conventions to attend uh, in next year. There'll be uh, uh, places to to walk and and show people. Hey, look, this is my little story I made. But right now it's all virtual, and I'll take what I can get. Uh, I, I'll take what uh, uh, the virtual world that that'll, that'll let me. Um, I, I, next month I'm participating, for example, um, SoulCon out of uh, Ohio. Um, Professor Aldama does a great event called SoulCon, and it's it's the Black and Brown Comic Book Festival. And so we're, it's a little virtual comic book festival that that he's doing there. And um, so little things like that. It's just we're we're trying to we're trying to virtually knock on people's doors and and open them up and say, hey, take a look at this little story. It's it's a Wizard of Oz, but it's not Wizard of Oz. You know, it's New Mexico. It's Mexican, but it's not Mexican. It's it's New Mexican. So yeah, that's that's well, what we're trying I, to do. I think the way that uh, that you are reflecting the world that we're in now. How do you meet kids now? Just by being open to connection with librarians and teachers and families in that way, bringing bringing the convention to them, doing things like that is wonderful. And it's great to see uh, many individuals thinking outside of the box that way. You and Carlos and your team have a beautiful Own Voices comic. I loved hearing that Margaret created art outside of you know her lived experience, but that she 
was there to work and play with you and be directed and bring her own voice. It's beautiful to hear how all of that worked together for you to share this book. I, I hope that many, many more readers this year have a chance to read it. I'm so thankful that you came on to Kidlet these days to share it with us. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate it. This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by This is a Flying Rat by Andrew <laughs> Cangelosi and Josh Shipley and Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group. This is a book about pigeons, not flying rats. <laughs> pigeons do not like to be called, quote, flying rats. But when a jetpack-wearing, graffiti-painting rat starts zooming around claiming pigeons and flying rats are the same thing, he'll have to take a series of tests to prove he's got the feathers to be in the book. From the creators of This is a Taco and This is a Whoopsie, Andrew Cangelosi and Josh Shipley are back with another humorous picture book about a, quote, flying rat and pigeon finding friendship despite their differences. Well, it is time for our book talk segment. Remember, as we share, you are welcome to comment on, compliment that you have read also, or add your own titles to our list by using hashtag KidLitTheseDays over social media. You can always email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We will archive everything we mention at bookriot.com slash listen find episode number 37 of kid lit these days and today today i thought i would uh invite all of you listeners to join us in talking about your favorite own voices comics so nicole i know that you and i have a bunch we want to share but would you mind if i read out what our listeners shared are their favorite own voices comics yeah, i bet they're ones that you great. would name too yeah these are great <laughs> Cool. So I'm going to run through. There will be a number of books that you have heard us talk about before, and there are some that were mentioned a couple times, and I'm just going to let it ride because I love how each person is saying they like a book for a different reason. So let's start off with a comment from Kimberly A. Gordon Biddle, who writes, New Kid by Jerry Craft is hands down my favorite. My son, who's 13 years old, loves it. It has wonderful themes. My son could identify with the character. It also is a best seller. Thank you, Kimberly. We hop to Urania Smith, who also says, new kid. Yes, period. so much love for new kid. <laughs> it speaks of double consciousness in a funny and relatable way, giving insight into how kids and even adults have to navigate being black in white spaces. Thank you, Urania. I have, uh, this is actually a good friend, a library friend of mine, Angie Moore, wrote El Defo. Because it is a fantastic look into what growing up, living life, and thriving with a disability looks like. I know that CC is represented by a bunny, but that makes the book even more accessible to readers of all ages. And then Angie threw in a second one. She writes, <laughs> new kid. Because it is relevant to any kiddo who is new to a school. It helps the reader see how some students experience racism and microaggressions and how to work through that. I also love this book as an audiobook. And I was like, wait a second, New Kids in Audiobook? Yes. <laughs> so now I have another thing to find. Also, I feel like we should just call this episode the Jerry Craft episode because New Kid has been mentioned three times. I love this. Go on. <laughs> I you know, here's a fun thing that I I uh that listener Eric Carpenter mentioned that I thought, oh, this is even greater. Uh he mentioned New Kid New Kid and then immediately followed that up with 
Class Act, which is the sequel to New Kid coming out in October, he writes, Class Act is great, dare I say, better than its predecessor. Oh, I'm so excited for October. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, well, let me fly through the others because I think they are ones that we've brought up on this show before. But to hear listeners reading, too, I mean, come on, Nicole. Isn't that great to know that you... And other listeners are sharing these books. I love, I love that. that. I love I'm looking at the whole list and it's just like some that we've met. Like you said, we've mentioned them before. This is exciting. Keep reading, Matthew. Or I can jump I, in if you want me to. I, I would love to. Um, actually, yeah, let me pass you off because um, to hear what Lisa Stringfellow is saying is like a great big nod. Go ahead. Yeah. So she says, my students loved the Amulet series by Kazu Kibuishi. It is imaginative, but also touches on real themes of family and love. That sounds fantastic. I haven't actually read the Amulet series. Um, Lumberjanes, which is actually a general, like a universal book riot favorite, I think. Um, Lumberjanes for any kid who's into action, fantasy, uh, golf ball, goofball action, and needs uh, to see a wide representation that in- includes kids with ADHD, LGBTQIA, Latinx, and so much more. That's from Laura Jimenez. Thank you, Laura. I gotta jump in. Laura Jimenez is um, not only a, a, a professor. Uh, of children's literature. She also has a fabulous blog called Book Toss, where primarily she is centering on queer comics and comics from writers, cartoonists of color. Uh, I love that she shared that. Um, and I I love that she is one of my go-tos for learning about what to read next. <laughs> so the I fact that it. she commented, I was like, yes, please. I'm trying to see if it's the Laura Jimenez. I know, I don't think it is. Um, okay, and Kim. Do I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go yeah, this ahead. is no. You read that. One. Is, sure, it's Kim Bongiorno. Um, I commented back on her after she wrote this, so I can follow up with what I mentioned to her. She writes, "I'm not sure if everyone will consider this 100% own voices because a white American woman co-wrote it with a black Somalian man, whose story it is." He's not an illustrator, but when stars are scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. So I jumped in to say, this is absolutely own voices uh, from Omar's perspective. Omar, as she mentioned, um, is um, is a Somalian refugee uh, from Kenya. The, the, the uh, refugee camp was in Kenya, and now he is in America. And he um, was sharing his story, and he partnered with Victoria to tell his story with everyone, Victoria Jamison of Roller Girl fame. So um, she, I think, is is helping to be the vessel of bringing the story forward. Um, she writes, this book is great because it's, his story is moving and hopeful, sad and frustrating, and it's laced with both gentle humor and unflinching honesty. It's perfectly done for the middle school crowd on up, uh, ages nine and seven on up creating a better understanding of people who lived completely differently uh, than we did, but filling the reader up with empathy and inspiring them to always keep dreaming while doing the work to catch those dreams. Yeah, I, I, this is a beautiful comic. We've brought it up on the mm-hmm. on the podcast before. I, I think that, um, hands down, beautiful. I love it. And then Paula Wiley told us about Varian jo- Johnson, who has a new one coming out, Twins. And we talked about Twins, I don't know how many episodes ago, but I am excited about Twins coming out. So that, thank we you have. For that, I've, I've read Twins. Uh, I've read and loved Twins. Paula Willie is another one of um, um, a Maryland native, another wonderful blogger, and uh, another great fan of 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 kid lit 
comics. So she's like Laura Jimenez. She's one that I go to. The other three, well, well we mentioned Guts by Raina Telgemeier. I would say the other two, though, are more YA skewing, mm-hmm. but we should definitely mention them. Um, hey Kiddo by Jarrett Krasowska is an own voices, uh, well, it's a, a memoir of Jarrett's about um, his mom, about him being raised by his grandparents. His um, uh, mom struggled with mental illness, uh, abusive father. This is a very dark, challenging story, but beautifully told um, and, and, and wonderfully centering the adults in his life that helped raise him. Beautiful book by the same guy who we all know from the uh, Lunch Lady comics for younger readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one that was mentioned, which uh, we've brought up on here a lot as well, is the March Trilogy. March books one, two, and three by John Lewis, uh, told and illustrated by Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. Um, Nancy Castellato mentioned that. I should say that Hey Kiddo and Guts were mentioned on social media by Kelly Moy. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, listeners, for mentioning those outstanding books. We love that that you jumped in to share those. Nicole, did you have any others that that weren't mentioned that you want to make sure no, we highlight? I'm giving okay, it I've got away a couple. To you. Yeah, sure. I've got a couple. We've list, longtime listeners of the podcast have heard us bring these up before, but they bear repeating. Uh, beautiful middle grade novel called Stargazing by Jen Wang, who uh, was the cartoonist on the Prince, uh, um, the Prince and the Dressmaker one of my favorite um, queer comics. Um, Anyway, Stargazing is about, uh, about, um, I guess it's, it's loosely based on Jen's uh, own life uh, in the church and um, from um, her Asian background and uh, having a neighbor that uh, followed traditions differently than her family did. Beautiful book. You actually have to um, listen to uh, Karina's, interview with Jen. Uh, Wonderful to hear that. I'll make sure we link that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Snapdragon by Kat Lay, who is one of the contributors to Lumberjanes, uh, is a queer comic story about a a kid who uh, happens upon this witch in the swamplands when she's looking for her lost dog. Um, But it turns out that not all things are are what they appear to be. And that um, the way that this woman, that Snapdragon, that Snap comes across um ties in with her own family's history is 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 magical it's beautiful and two YA novels uh that are phenomenal are Flamer by Mike Carrado which just came out this week uh which tells the story of Aiden uh who goes to a a cub scout camp a boy scout camp in 1995 and um it's about uh coming out it's about homophobia it's about being a boy it's about uh, self-harm. It's about religion. It's about so many different mm. things that that are also about identity and and navigating identity. It's it's exceptional, and it's also about nerddom in comics, in Jean Grey and the X Men, and Grey. it's it's yeah, it's 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 everything. It's a beautiful comic that I hope you personally, Nicole. I hope you can experience. I I think you'd love it. I should send you a copy. I have an extra copy now that that's on my mind. Um, and and finally, there's a a a, a YA comic that I mentioned incessantly called this place 150 years retold it's published by high water press it's got various authors and illustrators on it and it is a graphic novel short story anthology retelling the history of canada through indigenous voices Mm -hmm. 
it's it's outstanding and belongs in in every I think middle school and high school library and so it's it's great to mention that here um we also have uh, indigenous history in the U.S., of course, but we don't have a whole lot of books published about it. This gives a great, I think, sense of what was going on in North America over the past 150 years, and I think gives readers, American readers, uh, an opportunity to ask questions of our own history. Beautiful stuff. I love it. That. And that's all in comics. Come on. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, that's all I I have to share, but I hope that we have given you and our listeners have given you a ton of other comics to jump right into. Nicole, I know that you've got a, a really high TBR pile, but I hope that <laughs> I we've been able to squeeze a couple more onto there. <laughs> I love that. And, and to support these voices, making these comics, telling these stories is something that will help even more comics by voices like these and communities like these be represented in our libraries and in our home bookshelves and our classrooms and that in our readers' lives. And that's a really, really good thing. So thank you all for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast and we appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that or share the podcast, you help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. And like Matthew said, it's uh, Podcast Appreciation Month, so show us some love, please. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We love Dr. Baker for sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. (laughs) 